Good morning. That's cool. Standing ovation to the Lord. Can we just greet our American Fork Extension Campus? Hi, American Fork. Sorry, it's an unfriendly group today. <laughs> Can we greet our American Fork Extension Camp? Hi, you guys. God bless you. Ooh, nice. Much better. Much better. <laughs> okay, so I was so nervous first service. Um, whew, I'm not quite as nervous this time. Um, today, I, I, I guess I have the ministry of making people feel uncomfortable. So <laughs> fasten your seatbelts. Um, Chase set up my message so well last week. He did such a great job um, talking about Joseph and dreams. And uh, Kelly did a stellar message down in American Fork on wrestling with God. He titled it, uh, The Struggle is Real. And um, today we're going to talk about some struggles also. The title of the message is uh, Joseph, Temptation, Oh, wait, seduction, temptation, and suffering. I've changed it, and then I didn't change it in my notes. So sounds like a really fun message, huh? A little lighthearted. It's not. <laughs> so, um, But today I really want to talk about Joseph. And, you know, he is a type of symbolic uh, representation of Jesus. There are a lot of similarities between the story of Joseph, and the story of Jesus. Now, of course, we know Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ never sinned. The Bible, however, never does mention Joseph's sin, other than maybe the indiscretion of sharing his dreams with his brothers who got jealous. But it really never never goes into the depth of Joseph's sin. He's not known for that. Rather, he's known for faithfulness, and for persevering, even in the midst of great suffering. And, and even in doing everything right, he still suffers. And so today I'm going to talk with you about seduction. We're going to get into temptation and sexual sin, and we're also going to talk about suffering and the purpose in suffering. And then at the end of this message, I will be sharing a story with you, hopefully a story that will encourage you, and we will be taking communion together at the end. You know, every Sunday, um, before Eric would get up here, he would always go, babe, pray for me. Like he had this desperation that he really wanted prayer before he ever got up here and spoke. And um, today I'm feeling kind of that same desperation, not that I'm not always feeling it, but... uh, You know, this morning as I was praying for you, I just had this profound sense of of the responsibility to not just gloss over the difficult topics and to not just tickle your ears. You know, there's a scripture that says that in the last days there will be those who will just want to tickle your itching ears and tell you what you want to hear. I'm sorry I am not, I can't be that person. Um, so would you please extend a hand and just pray for me so that I would faithfully bring you God's word? Well, Lord, you know the cry of my heart. Lord, you know that um, we don't have time to mess around, God. We don't have time 
to waste. We don't have time to just do church. But Lord, the cry of our hearts every Sunday is that people would have an encounter with the living God, that people would have an experience with you. Lord, that you would reveal yourself in a deeper way to each and every person that would come into this building. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I just, I just um, humble myself and ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, that I would speak as though speaking the very words of God. Lord, that your spirit would lead and guide me and direct me as I bring your word and as I bring truth. And I just ask for your blessing on the hearers, Lord, that they would receive something from you. They would receive a deeper revelation and a deeper love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today, um, I'm going to talk about Joseph as, as the beloved son. You know, um, he was the youngest of his brothers. He was the son of, um, of a guy who had more than one wife, <laughs> and he was the favored one. You know, the Bible does say that we should not show favoritism. So unfortunately, uh, Joseph's father made the mistake of showing favoritism, and it created all kinds of problems in his life. Um, you know, his father had given him this coat with many colors, and that is symbolic and representative of, of the coat, the robes of righteousness that Jesus wears, that, you know, he's glorified. And, um, but Joseph was the favored son, not just because of who his mother was, but because of of the righteous way in which he lived his life and the way that he continued to be faithful and the way that he continued to trust. And, you know, um, in Matthew three seventeen, after Jesus had been baptized by John the Baptist, it says, a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son in whom I am well pleased. And the name Joseph means abundance, one who adds to or multiplier. The name Jesus means Jehovah saves and full of abundance. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about Joseph. Up until Easter, we're going to be spending some time talking about Joseph. But today, I want to talk about some of the trials that Joseph had to go through. Um, And I want you to notice there's a consistent thread here that even though... Joseph was tested and tried and rejected and abandoned and sold into slavery by his own brothers. He remained faithful. And you know, he, he was a man, <clears throat> excuse me, he was a man who sinned. And so to me, to be able to read a story of someone who remained faithful, even in the midst of trials and suffering and temptation, is so hopeful Doesn't that offer you hope that we too, even though we go through trials, even though we're tested, we can still remain faithful to God and still be blessed. When it starts in uh, Genesis 39, verse 1, it says, When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now I want you to notice this. 
the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did. You know, the Bible says that when we commit all of our plans to the Lord, everything we do will succeed. We will be successful. And it says, he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the name or in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and he realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, and so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. You see the parallel there? Jesus, who was put in charge of everything in the universe, and when his ways are honored, and when God is followed, and we obey the Lord, we are blessed. And in the same way, Joseph comes into Potiphar's house. He acknowledges that Joseph's being blessed, and then his household increases. And it says here, it says, all of his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing, except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. So Joseph pretty much has it all going on, right? He's hot. He's built. God's pleased with him. He's living in this nice place. I mean, he was sold into slavery by the brothers and abandoned and all that, but... It looks like Joseph's got it all going on, right? Ha-ha. But the story continues. He is the tempted employee. Genesis 39, verse 7. Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Well, it doesn't say anything about what she looked like, I noticed. But it does mention that he was uh, handsome and well-built. It says, she began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He's held nothing back from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Notice that. The sin is against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible, which was wise. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come and sleep with me. Or come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand and he ran from the house. When she saw that he was holding his cloak and he had fled, She called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream, he he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you've brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me. She said, when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. 
So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. What is wrong with this picture? Here Joseph is doing everything right. You see that? Joseph hasn't done anything to this guy, Potiphar. He didn't mess with his wife, even though she continually threw herself at him. He rejected her, which was the right thing to do. And what ends up happening to him? What thanks does he get for making all these right choices? What happens? Gets thrown in prison. How is that right? Now, here's where I want to bring a warning to you. Do not ever believe that if you serve God and you do everything right, that God owes you anything. That is called self-righteousness. When you say, well, God, I've served you, and now I'm going through these trials. That's not fair. Or you say, well, God, I tithed, and you didn't provide for me. How is that fair? Or when you say, Lord, I thought you told me to marry that person, and now that I married them, I'm not happy. How is that fair? Be very, very careful of thinking that when you do something right or when you obey, you will not suffer. Because that is not what the Bible says. And Joseph is our example. We have so many examples throughout Genesis, throughout the entire Bible, of people who honored the Lord, who obeyed the Lord, and yet they suffered. But here's the thing that I really was struck with this week. You notice how many stories involve sexual sin just in the book of Genesis? And I started thinking, why is that the sin that trips so many people up? Why is that the sin that has ruined so many marriages because of people stepping out on their spouse or ruined so many lives because of addictions to porn or ruined so many ministries because pastors got involved with someone other than their spouse? Why is sexual sin so rampant? I mean, We obviously know that it's rampant in our day and age, right? But we're talking about the book of Genesis. And how many stories involve this particular sin? And what is it about this sin that stumbles people? What is it about sexual sin? Anything that is not in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman is considered sexual sin. Whether you're living together, whether you're looking at porn, whether you're fantasizing about someone else, or even about a phantom that isn't your spouse, thinking, I wish my husband was more romantic, and building this case in your mind, whether you're lusting after someone at work, whether you're even flirting, whether you're doing anything other than sex, 
within a marriage between a man and a woman. And you guys, I would, I would rather not have to deal with this topic because I don't really like making people uncomfortable, but the Bible is so clear about it. And why would they have so many examples of sexual sin in the Bible? Because it's an issue. Because it's part of human nature. And yet, like with Joseph, even though he was tempted, God will always provide a way out. And there are always, always safeguards. In Proverbs 30, verse 20, it says, An adulterous woman consumes a man and then wipes her mouth and says, What's wrong with that? See, that's the thing. In our society, I mean, in, I guess in human nature, there's always been this thing that in us that says, well, maybe nobody will find out. Or maybe I can just kind of toe the line here a little bit. But I'm telling you, this is a sin, like Joseph said, against God. Your sexual sin is not just a sin against your spouse or, or your future spouse. It is against God. There are safeguards that you can take. Like Joseph, remember, it says that he tried to avoid her. He tried not to be alone with her. He was really giving it a good effort. You know, we talked about community groups today, and this is one of the, one of the areas where there's an accountability that you can have with people with whom you feel safe. You know, if you just come to church on Sunday mornings, you're not really going to develop that, that kind of trusting relationship. Whereas if you go to a community group, you involve yourself with other people, you get integrated into their lives, it's a lot easier for you to, to bring these things into the light and to say, hey, you know, I'm really struggling with this. I'm struggling with my thought life or I'm struggling with my eyes or I'm struggling with my laptop or my phone. Or, you know, there's somebody at work that I'm just kind of towing the line with. It's so much easier when you have a trusting relationship with someone who you're walking with on an ongoing basis. And that's the reason, you know, that we talk about going to a community group, going to a life group, so that you have a place of safety, so you have a way out. You don't have to struggle with this sin on your own. I want you to know that. You do not have to walk in shame. You don't... I, I heard a statistic. Nine out of ten young men struggle with sexual sin, and the other one is lying. I don't know how accurate it is, but I've heard that. <laughs> I want to read you a story um, about... It's called The Lecherous Heart. This is a story that I heard uh, Ravi Zacharias tell. One of the most powerful stories I've ever heard on the nature of the human heart is told by Malcolm Muggridge. Working as a journalist in India, he left his residence one evening to go to a nearby river for a swim. As he entered the water across the river, he saw an Indian woman. 
from the nearby village who had come to have her bath. Muggeridge impulsively felt the allurement of the moment, and the temptation stormed into his mind. He had lived with this kind of a struggle for years, but had somehow fought it off in honor of his commitment to his wife, Kitty. On this occasion, however, he wondered if he could cross the line of marital fidelity. He struggled just for a moment, and then he swam furiously toward the woman, literally trying to outdistance his conscience. His mind fed him with the fantasy that stolen waters would be sweet, and he swam the harder for it. Now he was just two or three feet away from her, and just as he emerged from the water, any emotion that may have gripped him paled into insignificance when compared with the devastation that shattered him as he looked at her. She was old and hideous. Her skin was wrinkled, and worst of all, she was a leper. The creature grinned at me, showing a toothless mask. The experience left Muggeridge trembling and muttering under his breath, what a dirty, lecherous woman. But then the rude shock of it dawned upon him. It was not the woman who was lecherous. It was his own heart. Ecclesi 7, 26 says, I discovered that a seductive woman... Now, I, w- I want to clarify something here. Just because this says seductive woman doesn't necessarily mean it's only gender-specific. This is... This is um, talking about anything that allures you and that entices you. But the Lord knows us. He created us as sexual beings, but he knows that this is an area where the evil one loves to attack. I discovered that a seductive woman is a trap, more bitter than death, Her passion is a snare, and her soft hands are chains. Those who are pleasing to God will escape her, but sinners will be caught in her snare. Proverbs 2.16 says, Wisdom will save you from the immoral woman, from the seductive words of the promiscuous woman. What will save you from this? Wisdom. What is your Potiphar's wife? What is that thing that continues to allure you and tempt you and taunt you and and just browbeat you? What is your Potiphar's wife? What is the thing? Maybe yours isn't sexual. Maybe yours is materialism or greed or a, a desire for power or attention. Maybe it's something other than sexual sin, but what is the thing that continues to nag at you? Is it pornography? Fantasy? Lust? Thoughts? Maybe towing the line in relationships that you shouldn't be towing the line in? Being inappropriate? Even flirtation? Proverbs 6.27, can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with the man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. And how many lives have we seen ruined? By that promise that, oh, 
If only I could get out of this marriage and get it get together with him or her. Then I would be fulfilled. Then I would be happy. And that's where we see that our own hearts are lecherous. Sexual sins are different. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, run from sexual sin. Doesn't say toy with it or toe the line with it or play with it. Run from it. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. There is a way out. God will provide a way out. You know, Eric used to have this program on our laptop that would send me emails of whatever he was looking at on his computer. Now, don't tell him this, but I never checked. (laughs) But I could have at any time. I could have seen exactly what he was looking at, every single website he went to, And there are safeguards. There are ways that you can protect yourself. You know, when we first got together, he was he received counsel um, from from someone that said, you know, you shouldn't confess if you're lusting. You should not confess that to your wife because she's way too insecure, which was true. (laughs) But it wasn't true that he shouldn't confess it to me because it did something to our oneness. It did something to our our spiritual intimacy. And so I I just encourage you, if you're struggling in this area, I know that it's difficult, but it is so healthy to confess this to someone. If you can't confess it to your spouse or you don't think your spouse can handle it, maybe confess it to someone else, but ease into it. You've got to bring it into the light. It has got to be brought into the light. You know, it's a lot of times I think sexual sin starts to get hold of us when we spend too much time alone, maybe too much time online, too much time in our own head. You know, singles, doing things that you wouldn't do with your grandma. You can laugh at that. I know it's kind of gross. To quote a friend of mine, Dan Ledwick, he used to say, hey, why start the car if you're not going to drive? You know, why get the motor revved up if you're not going anywhere? I'm just keeping it real, you guys. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. For a moment of pleasure... It's not worth it. The shame and the guilt and the remorse. I mean, I've counseled so many young people who thought that they were strong enough. They thought they could toe that line. And they ended up destroying their trust in their relationship and resenting one another. And it just brings about a whole bunch of problems that you just don't need. 
So I just suggest that in the same way Joseph tried to avoid Potiphar's wife, he couldn't do it ultimately because then there's the one day he walks in and she got him. But for the most part, make your lifestyle of one where you run from sexual sin, run from temptation. Don't put yourself in the midst of it and think you're strong enough. It says in James 1.12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Matthew 4.1 says, Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character to find out whether or not you would obey his commands? And here is the, one of the best things Jesus ever said. It's hard to gauge that, but Matthew 26, 41. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body or the flesh is weak. Keep watch, that means put up safeguards, have accountability, have someone in your life who might ask you those difficult questions. Just be prepared. They might walk in on you at any point. Have those people in your life that love you enough to do that. Keep watch. Avoid sexual temptation. But also it says pray that you won't even fall into temptation Because the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Philippians 3.3 says, We rely on Christ, what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in the flesh. 1 Corinthians 10.13, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. You hear that? He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. We can help others out too. There's that accountability. There's honesty and openness and wisdom that comes from others. Vulnerability with other people of the same gender, probably. Galatians 6.1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. It says that in Hebrews 4.15, this high priest, in reference to Jesus, this high priest of ours, he understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Jesus was tempted in every way, 
yet he did not sin. Joseph was also tempted, and he didn't sin, but he still suffered. Suffering is not always a result of wrongdoing. I want you to understand this principle. Sometimes it is. Sometimes we suffer because of foolish choices that we've made. But there are externals and there are circumstances that can cause suffering even when we're obedient to the Lord. And Joseph was that suffering servant in the same way that Jesus was a suffering servant. I talk about three kinds of trials that we can experience. There's financial trials, there's relational trials, and there are health trials. And you know, the evil one is not all-knowing. He doesn't know everything, but he knows enough about us and our personalities to know which of those trials will get to us the worst. And that's why I think it's so awesome Jesus says, keep watch and pray that you won't fall into temptation. And I'm telling you, even in the midst of it, even in the midst of our suffering, even in the midst of our trials and our temptations, God is able. God is able to deliver us. He's able to make us stand. So it says in Genesis 40, verse 1, it says, sometime later, now remember, Joseph's in prison, right? And it says, sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and the chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbuilder and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Well, interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. Um, I'm not going to have time to go into the whole thing about the dreams and the interpretation, but all this to say, so Joseph had that gift and he interpreted the dreams and it turned out really well for the cupbearer, but it turned out really badly for the baker. And um, next week, I'm going to talk more about dreams. But for now, just go to verse 23, and it says, Pharaoh's cheap cupbearer, who was the one who had the good outcome, it says he forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Everyone seemed to forget Joseph. They mistreated him. They abused him. They hated him. They rejected him. Just like Christ. You know, there's a prosperity doctrine that says that if you do everything right, everything will go well in your life. That if you give your life to the Lord, you'll never have to suffer. You'll never have to endure any hardship. I'm going to make a case to the contrary of that, but I want, to, I want you to notice, as I'm going to go through a ton of scriptures here, I want you to see the common link is that there's always hope. Even when we suffer, God is a God of hope, and hope does not disappoint us. 1 Peter 3, it says, Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? 
even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Let me just tell you, the world is watching you as you suffer. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the world is watching as you suffer. They're watching how you go through it. They're watching to see if you're going to still serve this God that you, that you name as your Lord. They're going to watch you and they're going to see. And the Lord will give you the ability and the opportunity to glorify his name and to give him the honor and the glory. It says in Psalm 71:20, you have allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore me to life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. Romans 8:18. 8, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. 2 Corinthians 1:5. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Philippians 1.29, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. 2 Timothy 1.12, that is why I'm suffering here in prison, but I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. 1 Peter 2.12, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Now here, this one, I was reminded of this one a couple of uh, weeks ago when I was going through a hard time. And it was a relational thing because that's how the enemy gets to me. He knows that that's the thing for me. I'm very relational. So when I have relational issues, it's the worst. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. Instead, now this is ironic, be very glad. How many of you are very glad when you're going through fiery trials? <laughs> Seriously. Wait, I don't see anybody. Our flesh hates to suffer. We hate to suffer. But it says be very glad. Why? How can we be very glad? For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. See, this is like an investment. When you go through those trials, you don't have to be shocked by it. Like, what? Why is this happening to me? Don't be surprised. But trust 
in the goodness of the Lord. Trust that God will be glorified in every situation, whether you're going to see it or not, or maybe it's going to be when he reveals himself to the world. It says in 1 Peter 5.10, In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So, after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. Do you see the common thread in this? Suffering is hope. There is the hope. And so I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, if you're going through a trial, you're going through hard times, God is going to be glorified. Do not be surprised. Now, if you've brought this trial on yourself and you need to do something to bring reconciliation, maybe you need to repent, you need to maybe confess to someone, or you maybe need to do some kind of reconciliation. But I promise you, there is a certain, I don't know, there's a certain intimacy with the Lord in suffering. There's a certain sweetness, even in suffering, that you know that he is for you. And you sense his presence as you turn to him. It says that he was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He gets it. He gets it. But you know, in the same way that that cupbearer forgot all about Joseph... He forgot all about the way that Joseph blessed him. Don't we do the same thing with the Lord? We forget to give him glory. We forget to share with people in our midst about his goodness, even when we're suffering. I mean, when I tell non-believers that, that I know that God is for me and I know God is good when they find out that my husband died, they don't understand. They don't understand because they think that because I've served this God, that this God somehow owes me something, you know? I'm going to tell you a story. And I entitled this last point, don't forget to tell people about him. Don't be like that cupbearer. I'm going to tell you the story of Janelle. See how pretty she is? I met Janelle the first year we lived here in 1999. I met her at the gym. She was in a, an exercise room. She was stretching. And uh, she was a student at BYU. She was studying dance. And she was having a really hard time when I met her. The lights were all off in the room. And I ended up just striking up a conversation with her. And I developed a friendship with her. And throughout the years... I began to really be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with her. I mean, several times, you know, I would weave it in the conversation and she would begin to ask me questions and we sent each other several emails throughout the year. She ended up moving to Vegas and um, we exchanged a lot of emails and I would totally witness to her. 
And she just never came to Christ. And I was starting to get really frustrated. So finally, one Christmas, she had come back to town and um, she wanted to get together. And I just confessed to Eric, I go, I, I really don't want to go get together with her right now. I'm exhausted. And she's not coming to Christ anyway. So, and Eric's just like, he gave me the best advice. He goes, babe, go for the jugular. <laughs> Classic Eric. So just go for the jugular. What have you got to lose? So that night I met with her at Barnes & Noble up in Sandy, and um, we started out our conversation by her telling me all of these horrible, horrible things that were happening in her life. And I just said to her, I said, Janelle, I want you to understand something. I said, you know, I've always told you God has a plan for your life, right? I said, well, the enemy also has a plan for your life. And as far as I can see, his plan is the one that's being fulfilled. And it opened her heart up, and I began to share scripture after scripture after scripture. I began to witness to her and share Christ and share my story and share the gospel about how she could receive the forgiveness that Christ offered for her on the cross. As I was telling her this story, there was a guy that went to the adventure. He came up, and, and I kind of introduced the two of them, and he had left Mormonism. And so he started sharing with her the exact same scriptures, verbatim, that I had just shared with her. It was such a God thing. It was such a God thing. And I mean, she was just looking at me like, and I was looking at her like, I have no idea. I mean, it was obvious I didn't have time to go talk to this guy, but it was so profound. That night, I got to pray with Janelle and she received Christ. Yes! Yeah, hallelujah. So, that's not the end of the story. So, she received the Lord, and then I kind of followed up with her. She, you know, she lived in Vegas, so I followed up with her and, um, you know, tried to get her plugged into a good church, tried to kind of disciple her for a little while, and then, you know, we kind of lost contact after a while. Well, pretty soon one day, I got an invitation to her wedding in the mail, and she was engaged to her fiancé. Next picture this guy. And I was like, oh, great. She probably found some guy. Now she's probably not even serving the Lord. And I got kind of discouraged. I was like, man, darn it. So anyway, so I got invited to their wedding, which was um, at Millennial Falls in Draper. So when I walked in, there was this huge oil painting of the Elvis impersonator, you know, with the white, with the fringe. And the, and the showgirl. And that was them. And I can't show you that picture because some of you would be offended. And plus, I just talked about sexual temptation. But anyway, so, but they had what they called the showmance. He is, he is one of the top Elvis impersonators in the nation. And the guy that married them was a Garth Brooks impersonator who just happened to be a pastor. It was the most fun wedding I think I've ever been to. It was a blast. And you can show the picture of their wedding. That's them on their wedding day. It was so sweet. And it was, I was so encouraged that she had come to Christ. She met a godly man. She married this godly man. And they now have this, um, this entertainment company, and they impact hundreds and hundreds of young people. They are very influential in the entertain, en- entertainment business and 
They're very well respected. However, can you show the next picture? That was them on their wedding day. This is them currently. Um, She was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer, a tumor. And I just found out on Facebook this last week. And uh, she was in, in Las Vegas, and nobody in Nevada knew how to do the particular surgery that she needed. So she had to be life flighted to San Diego. And they had a GoFundMe that, I mean, I don't even remember. It was like $250,000. They, they, they refused to do the surgery unless they paid cash up front. And so they were going through this horrible trial and this suffering. But I want to share this with you guys, not to brag or pat myself on the back, but I want you to know that just the peace that I had from knowing that she knew Jesus, that no matter what her outcome, no matter whether she lived or died, that she was going to be in heaven with Jesus. Thank you. And that she, that it it was well with her soul. So I just want to encourage you, even if you don't think you have the gift of evangelism, and maybe you've been sharing Christ with somebody for years and years and years, and you haven't seen any reward or any fruit from that, persevere. Tell people your story. Tell people what you know. Give them the gospel, which is simply all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us is imperfect. Every one of us has fallen short. Every one of us is plagued by this thing called sin. But yet, it says that on the cross, his blood poured out for the remission of our sins. It poured out so that we could be forgiven. That his body was broken for us. That he suffered. He took the penalty for us so that we could be free. So that we didn't have to be bound. That we didn't have to be plagued by the temptations and the seductions of this world and our own bondage and our own pain. That we could be free. So this morning, would you stand with me as we take communion? Let's just pray together. Lord, we lift up this wafer, which is simply a symbol of your body, which was broken for us. Jesus, you who were without sin became sin for us so that we could be reconciled with our maker. Jesus, so that we could have eternal life. God, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you bore the burden and the weight of our sins. And God, it is with thanks that we take this wafer in honor of you in Jesus' name. You know, the Bible says that we shouldn't um, take communion in a manner unworthy, which none of us are worthy in our own strength. But because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we can be made worthy. We can be forgiven. We can stand in his presence, knowing that he took the price, he paid the price 
because of the blood that was poured out for us. So if you have something to confess this morning, I just ask you, confess it to the Lord right now. Lord, we confess to you our weaknesses and our shortcomings and our habits and our failures. God, we confess to to you that we know we have sinned, we have fallen short of your glory. But God, we are so grateful. Lord, we are so grateful for the blood that poured out so that we could have a relationship with you, so that we could have an abundant life and we could have eternal life with God, our creator. And so, Lord, we lift up this cup to you and we give you thanks and we take it with gratitude in Jesus' name. Romans 10, 14 says, How can they call on him to save them unless they believed in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Church, I want to encourage you, bring the good news. What have you got to lose? You don't know who your Janelle might be. You don't know. But be bold. Can you be bold? Do you have someone in your mind right now that you need to share Jesus with? You need to share your faith with this person? I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for a spirit of boldness to be released in this place. That you would not shrink back from telling the truth, sharing your story, and sharing the goodness of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, so much for these people that you love. God, these people that I I just, I'm so honored and I'm so privileged, Lord, to be able to walk with them. I love them so much and I pray, God, for the adventure. I ask in the name of Jesus that you would release a spirit of boldness. God, that people would not shrink back from telling the truth. God, that you would lay on their hearts the names of those people that you want to reach. God, that you would send us those who are hungry to hear truth. Lord, that you would send us those who are lost and broken and wounded and confused that we could share the message of hope. Lord, that they don't have to be tempted beyond what they can bear. Lord, that they don't have to be seduced by the world, that they don't have to suffer without hope. God, give us that boldness, Lord, that we will proclaim you to a lost and dying world. God, raise us up to do that. Burden our hearts, God. Burden our hearts, Lord. Just thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And if you are a person who has never come to know the Lord, you have never received the forgiveness of Jesus, today is your day. Today you can come to know him. You can be born again of his spirit. You can have this hope that we're talking about. Is there anybody here who has that desire in their heart to be forgiven? Okay, church, this is a sign for you. It's time to start inviting people. Okay, bring your friends, bring your enemies, <laughs> probably better. Okay, do this if you hear me. Can you do it this week? Everybody, share Jesus. People are dying out there. Okay, amen. All right, I love you guys. See you next week. <laughs>